0: Welcome to NAC Chat, the National Arts Club podcast. The National Arts Club is a members club and arts nonprofit whose mission is to stimulate, foster, and promote public interest in the arts and educate the American public in the fine arts. It was founded in 1898 by Charles Decay, the head theater critic for the New York Times. Club members have included such figures as Eleanor Roosevelt, Alfred Stieglitz, Stanford White, Will Barnett, Salman Rushdie, and Amanda Palmer. Today, our 16 arts committees present speakers and performers who share their work in fields such as fine arts, film, architecture, fashion, literature, and many more. This podcast will give an inside look to the happenings at the National Arts Club with interviewers who have worked with various committees to bring you some of the best the club has to offer. All our events are free and open to the public. You are welcome to join us at the Samuel Tilden Mansion on Gramercy Park where the club has resided since 1906. For more information including our calendar of events visit our website nationalartsclub.org or find us on Facebook and Instagram at of course National Arts Club. And now, welcome to NACChat.
1: Welcome to NACChat. This is Charlotte, and today I'm joined by Arthur Barnes, one of the Board of Governors here at the National Arts Club. Arthur, thank you for joining us.
2: I'm glad to be here, Charlotte.
1: So among the many things that you have done in your life is you have been a continuous supporter of the arts and many different arts. I was hoping you might just start off by sharing with us a little bit about your different contributions to the arts and how you got so involved and appreciative of them.
2: Well, I'll start by telling you that I'm a jazz aficionado, and I've started uh, to have a love for that music because when I was... Growing up in Central Harlem, on our jukeboxes in the neighborhood, we had jazz music because it was the music that we danced to. And as a result of that, it gets inbred into your consciousness and it stayed with me all my life.
1: So what are some of the jazz musicians and singers that you particularly remember launching this love of jazz back in, back in the day?
2: I think that the most uh, impressive p- performer was Duke Ellington. Mm. And uh, it was 1943 when my father took me to Carnegie Hall for the first Duke Ellington concert there wow! and that was a tremendous impression that was made on a 14 year old boy and it stayed with me
1: I bet and so from, from a love of Duke Ellington are you one of the jazz lovers who then watched it progress and change and go into bebop and shift did you come to of continue to
2: okay. that's the evolution of the art form it's, it's not a question of uh, good, better, or best. It's a question <laughs> of what grabs you, brings you into that sphere of influence, and then how you follow it through. Some fans of the music, uh, their attention stays arrested at a particular time in the, in the evolution of the music, whether it's uh, New Orleans music, whether it's... Louis Armstrong, Jelly Roll, Morton, those founders of jazz, uh, and others follow the progression and the evolution of the music that went to different styles as the music traveled to different parts of the country. Uh, from New Orleans, it, it went to Chicago. From Chicago, it, it came to the... Northeast. Duke Ellington was born in Washington, D.C. He started his first band in Washington and migrated to New York City because that's where the jobs were. Mm. And majority of, of famous musicians were motivated by not only the art form itself and their status as a performer, but by their quest to get jobs. <laughs> They had to work. And the marketplace was in the large cities. And the popularity of the music spread throughout the country, including to Los Angeles and the West Coast, San Francisco particularly. And uh, it was a phenomena that uh, was really the beginnings of an international impact. Uh, It's it's common knowledge that that jazz musicians were welcomed in Paris. And as a result of that, uh, quite a few of them migrated to Paris. They lived there for many years. Uh, Sidney Boucher, a uh, New Orleans uh, superstar uh, that preceded Louis Armstrong, uh, eventually moved to Paris. There was a statue of him in Paris, and he spent the rest of his life there. He recorded there, he, he organized a band. Uh, Django Reinhardt, the, the great gypsy guitarist, together with Stephane Grappelli, a great jazz violinist, started a jazz club called the Hot Club of France. And in that establishment, they recorded many jazz masterpieces. And so, too, the the music traveled to the Scandinavian countries, uh, to Denmark and Tivoli Gardens. There's a band shell there. And on an early visit to Copenhagen and Tivoli Gardens, I heard this music playing I went in search of the bandstand, because I thought it was uh, Count Basie's band. But it wasn't, it was the Danish Radio Jazz Orchestra, and they performed a beautiful repertoire of both Count Basie and the other leading band leaders at the time. That's
1: right, I mean jazz is has been one of the sort of international diplomats for the United States going all all over the world. A a book I was reading recently about a woman in the 30s in Australia spoke to how often she would go to the jazz concerts as the musicians came through Australia.
2: Well, that's correct. Uh, Louis Armstrong was uh, presented by the uh, United States State Department on trips to Africa and Europe, as well as other musicians, that would do those kinds of trips. And as a result, they were the missionaries of the music that was spread throughout the world, Mm -hmm. including uh, South America also. Of
1: course, right. So what was the moment, or do you remember what were some of the defining moments that made you realize you didn't simply want to appreciate the music by attending as an enthusiastic audience member, but that you realized you actually wanted to support the institutions that were themselves historic memories of this music and you know, support it as an art form at large?
2: Well, there was no eureka moment. Uh, it was it became a, a part of my life, mm-hmm. and that meant that I would recognize and discover and recognize the institutions that fostered and spread the music mm-hmm. and When you make that kind of discovery there 's an ingrown unspoken but deeply felt emotional response that you know that you've got to support this music, you see. The institutions do it and they bring you in to, to supporting it. Uh, so it's, it's not a mystery. Mm. Uh, a, a lot of organizations uh, grew up. Of course, the m- most prominent uh, jazz institution in the world today is the Lincoln Center Jazz Orchestra under the direction of Wynton Marsalis and he has made that into the great institution that it is. They, they meaning the, the orchestra that he, he leads, are on the road nearly 200 nights a year, all over the world. He has recruited musicians from all over the world who come with that burning fervor and that unique approach to what we see as an ever-changing art form.
1: Mm -hmm. It's always interesting when that moment happens, right? When you've sort of enjoyed art or music or theater or literature, you know, you pick up the book, you read it, you go to a play, and then suddenly you find it draws you in. That's such an important moment, I think, when you go from being an appreciator of an art form, you know, loving to read, to go to the theater, to listen to music, to see the artwork, into wanting to be a part of the communities that are really entrenched in it where you can find friends and make conversation and, of course, discover new artists in these fields that you didn't know about because now you're in conversation with all these others' followers. And finding those communities in a city like New York seems so easy because we have so many arts institutions. But actually, one of the things I regularly hear is how difficult it can sometimes be, that people are looking to f- make friends in the arts and to discover new things. And so I'm wondering, can you share with us some of the stories that have helped you you know, find the communities? And then what brought you to the National Arts Club as as an arts organization that supports so many different arts?
2: Well, uh, you make the, the change from being a part of the audience to f- uh, your search for a, a participatory role. and aud- audience is, is very, very important to performers. Uh, without the audience, there is no feedback, there is no resonance, there's no measure of the impact, emotionally and musically, mm-hmm. that you make on the, whoever listens to your music. But here in New York, it was very easy. If you share this uh, love for a particular art form, there are institutions that whose raison d'etre is to bring you in and to give you an enhanced experience in the appreciation of that art form, where you meet like minds, and you get together with them. You form uh, uh, friendships. And the bottom line, then, of support for this institution is where that fascination leads you. The more you support it, the more people you meet. And with that, you recognize that this is a living, breathing uh, art form that you can participate in without being a musician. And, And that, in and of itself, is a way to gain support for any art form. Bringing the audience in, enhancing their experience, and giving them a role to play.
1: Across the whole 20th century, in fact, the importance of the audience has been made explicit for all the arts. I mean, there have been critics and theorists and writers and philosophers who've all spoken about the fact that the notion that the art is the maker and then the product alone misses how important audience is, whether it's to performers on stage or to a work hanging on a wall. Um, I think that you speak to something really important there.
2: Well, that's certainly true. And uh, we can even take it to another step. That step is, particularly in the art form that attracted me, is you're dealing with music, you're dealing with lyrics, You're dealing with the literature of the lyrics. You're dealing with the poetry of the music. You're putting together that amalgam of art forms. And then the visual approach to it. You want to photograph it. We have a a tremendous uh, number of libraries of jazz photographs. We have quite a few practitioners in the field of photography uh, who have written books and who are idolized both in the art form, the visual arts, and in the performing arts because their subject matter were jazz musicians. And the, the different ways that they illustrated their love for that art form forms the genius of their endeavor.
1: I think part of it is the way the two art forms rise into popular consciousness around the same time so that there's a natural oh, right. connection between the oh, two.
2: Yeah.
1: And so what brought you to the National Arts Club well, the first time or
2: to become my, uh, a member? I think the, the occasion of my introduction to the National Arts Club took place uh, six years ago uh, when the National Arts Club was reorganizing and a new administration came in I was invited to be a part of that new administration and uh, I joined the the administration of Diane Bernhardt and that's when I met everybody that was on the Board of Governors at that that time and was introduced to the physical space that had so many memories mm. and had such a rich history that that drew me in. Plus, I loved the clubhouse and I loved the, the camaraderie that one finds at the bar.
1: <laughs> it's true, and is there a drink that you particularly enjoy getting at the bar?
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm a bourbon person. And so Maker's Mark and Club Soda <laughs> will get me every time.
1: <laughs> Notes to everyone. That's what you're looking for. That's correct. Um, and so, I mean, that's a tremendous role to have taken at the National Arts Club, to have joined the board, and you you know, are currently, and to participate in this. And you've done tremendous work um, recognizing artists, supporting the club. In fact, most recently... You are the visionary, if I may, behind the 120th Gala. It was your suggestion that the club should celebrate this moment. So I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit about how that like, you know, what got into your head one night that you thought, what I should do is <laughs> throw, make everyone get together and have a big party?
2: I, I wish that it was, it was that, uh, it followed that, path, but it didn't because I've had years and years of experience in fund development projects in doing uh, galas, uh, dinners, awards, events, those kinds of things. I've been on the board of of many many institutions in New York City including the New York Public Library, the Police Athletic League, uh, the New York City Partnership. I was one of the founders of the New York City Partnership. Uh, and so with this kind of experience, you turn your lens to a new art form or a new location or a new institution. You just apply the skills uh, and and perception that you've developed over the years to that new situation. And with... Uh, the National Arts Club, we did not have a formal fund raising mechanism in place, nor did we make uh, demands on our membership to support the, the club through charitable giving. What we did was to have one of the richest uh, presentations in our, in our uh, various art forms, presented to the public, and every night something dynamic was going on across the spectrum of all the arts that we that are represented in our club. And I saw that that was so terrific. I saw, too, that not only was this a private club and that your membership was valued to a great extent, but that a, a large percentage of our presentations our presentations to the public. It's in our mission statement, and so it's in our uh, institutional culture to invite the public in, to participate, to be entertained, and to make contributions to what we present each and every night here at the club. So with that kind of background, I saw what I thought was uh, an area that needed uh, some seeding so that we might be able to grow uh, the kind of perception for fund development that's needed to support any nonprofit in a city like New York. And the 120th anniversary seemed to me to be a great opportunity to do that.
1: So, what are some of the highlights of the gala that you're particularly proud of?
2: The fact that we were able to do four nights uh, of celebrations, different uh, celebrations uh, consecutively uh, from the Thursday night uh, reception for our members and their guests uh, that unveiled our private collection that we put on exhibit uh, right through to Friday night where the Practitioners in the field of, of the arts, uh, gallery owners, museum people, uh, artists themselves were invited to participate in our celebration. And uh, the day, the night after the gala, where we took the opportunity of a sit-down dinner to award three individuals with the National Arts Club. Uh, gold medal of achievement, and those uh, opportunities were topped off the following day, which was Sunday, with an anniversary brunch that was uh, enjoyed by all that attended.
1: The gala was such a success, and as you look forward as one of you know, the leading board members as an active member of the club at the bar. What are some of the hopes you have for the club in the years to come?
2: Well, I think that we will refine our approach to fundraising. I think we will define what we produce uh, to the public as a vehicle to raise funds and to entertain them and to continue their interest in what we do and how we do it and to be a part of it. And I think that uh, it's an opportunity for us to have information about our audience development. Who is our audience? Uh, How do they want to participate? And what can we do to continue their interest?
1: Are there particular events you're looking forward to?
2: Not on the drawing board now, but I think that we've gotten that information from our experience with this, these four days of celebration. And in going forward, we will certainly benefit from our, not speculation, but now our knowledge of what it is we saw demonstrated to us by our members and by our audience.
1: Well, Arthur, thank you so much for sharing, I mean, the wealth of knowledge you have about jazz and your involvement in the club. There's a question we like to ask our guests, and so I ask it a few. If you could be an artwork of any kind in any of the many media we have discussed today, what artwork would you be, at least today?
2: Well, I think that's a hell of a question. <laughs> and if you say you ask that of everybody, I'm sure you're going to get a, a largely diverse answer. Uh, I would I would be a participant uh, in putting together programs in music, in jazz music, that would cover the various dichotomies that we are aware of now. Brazilian jazz, bossa nova, we have salsa, we have Afro-Cuban jazz, we have reggae from Jamaica, we have Belgian gypsy music that was given to us by the, the great great Belgian gypsy musician Django Reinhardt that brought the sound of the Hot Club of France to the idiom of jazz. I would like to be in a position to present those iterations of this wonderful art form to show what a uniting medium that it is because it is shared, appreciated, enjoyed, and supported by audiences all over the world. There is no greater way to bring people together, in my mind, than sharing an art form, and that art form has become as universal as jazz has become, and that's my answer.
1: Well, thank you very much. You're welcome. Thank you.
0: NACChat is produced with the support of the National Arts Club Board of Governors and Education Committee. Interviewers include Charlotte Kent, David Zyla, and Steve Cass. The NACChat logo is designed by Nadine Heidinger. The music is composed by Kevin Bernstein. All speakers are invited at the behest of our 16 arts committees. The National Arts Club is a members club and arts nonprofit whose mission is to stimulate, foster, and promote public interest in the arts and educate the American public in the fine arts. You can learn more at our website, nationalartsclub.org, and our Facebook and Instagram, at the National Arts Club.